Broncos All-Decade Tackle Orlando Franklin. Two-time All-Pro linebacker Chad Brown. Former Broncos tight end and New York Times best-selling author Nate Jackson. 104.3 The Fan welcomes you into the Players Club. Yep, this is the Players Club. That dude said it right. We are in here um, chopping it up on a hot... It's going to be another hot day today, guys. Like... When it's hot, do you guys go outside? Do you go swimming? Do you, I mean, I know this is not Arizona. It's a little bit more bearable. So, Orlando, do, what, what are the kiddos? Do the kiddos like being outside in the heat? Do, do you guys like... Um, it depends, right? Do you grab them from school at 3, 3... So, pick up my youngest at 3, pick up my, my oldest at 3.15 right down the street. And really just leave it up to them. But today they got a play date, so hopefully that play date is inside because of the heat. Yeah, we. Uh, I picked my boy up from from daycare yesterday at about four thirty, and then he wanted to go to the playground, so we went and we played, man. And he, mm. was, he was out there running around, but the but the uh, the equipment gets a little hot. It does, yeah. you know. Um, but anyway, hopefully you guys are doing something summery. Maybe going to a pool or something. Any good pool parties? Where's the best pool party in Denver? Oh, what's I'm the best pool in Denver? <laughs> All right, what's the best pool party in Vegas? Uh, I, I have no idea. Circus just, Sports. Just had, oh, yeah, Circus Sports, right? They got a big old pool there. Stadium I was in um, Vegas this past weekend, and we stayed at uh, the Conrad uh, Resort and Spa, and, and it, it was jumping. We, we hung out for a couple hours by the pool. And what was nice about that is that they had, like, different sections, right? So they had the kiddie pool, then they had just this big area of just multiple pools, and then they had this infinity pool, but you had to be 21 and older to get into the infinity pool. Yeah. And then music changed over there on that side, and the, the attire as far as what the people were wearing um, that were working in there changed as well. Um, but pretty cool spot. And then I had a teammate that was staying at, you know, the Cosmo, and he was at a, a pool party all day that day. So he said he enjoyed that so lots of different pool parties in Vegas. Chad, you ever been to a Vegas pool party? I have not. <laughs> this guy plays 15 years in the NFL. He wins the national championship. <laughs> Never went to a Vegas pool party, man. Chad Brown. I threw wow, dude, amazing parties when I was there. in Boulder. I threw great parties. My parties were the pool parties oh, in Boulder. Man. Well, l- let me tell you. When I played in the NFL, the, my friends and I, we were single. And we went to Vegas, and we went to pool parties, and they were pretty fun. It was actually the beginning of the pool party craze was in Vegas in the 2000s. The very first pool party in Vegas, you guys know what it was? You the don't, Chad. Very first Elvis the, pool the, party. The in first Vegas. thing, the first like pool where they realized we can sell bottle service at the pools, and we can make all the money that we do at the nightclubs. We can do that at the pools as well, and double and double dip from these rich dudes. Mm. No, when was it? It was at Hard Rock. And the pool party was called Rehab. And it was... Off the chain? Off the chain, but also pretty gross. We t- used to talk to some of the employees there about the things they'd find in the filters the oh, next day. yeah. It was like a... Man. Just a lot of stuff floating in there, man. That doesn't sound fun. A lot of stuff floating in there, but... <laughs> but I had some good times. And you're mad I didn't participate in that. Well, it turns into a toilet as well. Like, so if you have to go to the bathroom, you don't want to walk across the pool, then put I'm your saying. clothes on, wait in line for the bathroom. What do you want to? Well, there's a big body of water right there. That's what I'm saying. You, you're up, like upset that I didn't participate in all that. Mm. Somehow I missed something in life because I didn't get a chance to, to you experience did. You did, the, the physical I'm matter you did. in the sexual yep. fluids in the pool in Vegas. Did you hear uh, that? Uh, I'm like a just graphic. <laughs> just, um... When you go out to these like um, these uh, uh, like amusement parks and all that, right? Like Elitch. Elitch just has a water section. 
Um, would you guys let your guys' kids go in that water section? Like, or I, I would think there would be a lot going on in that water section. I think so. I think at this, like, you know, at this point, man, you can't protect your kids from the germs of the world. Mm. And it's going to build their immune system being around all this nasty stuff. Like, I have a buddy who's a, who was super OCD. Like, every, he washed his hands constantly. Everything was had to be so clean all the time. And then he had a son. And then, and that son, he tried to do that at the beginning with that kid, and it just didn't work. And they had another kid and another kid, and when you have three boys, yeah, it's it's, it's everything it's, nasty. It's very very me- messy, but it cured him of his OCD. And the first boy, the one he was like super worried about germs and stuff, th- that kid gets sick all the time. The two ones after that, he was like, do whatever you want, play in yeah. the dirt. Those kids never get sick. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I would let him play in the and yeah, go go take a dip. In the rehab pool, son. Uh, just uh, <laughs> let, let me get that out of your hair. <laughs> All right. Um, Justin Simmons, guys, went on ESPN to discuss Sean Payton's impact leading into training camp. Here is Justin Simmons talking about how Payton's approach has been different from other coaches he's been around. Yeah, Sean, Sean's been a, a pleasure to work with so far. I think uh, the number one word, if I had to describe it in one word that I'd use, is uh, it's been really educational. I think the way that Sean has come in, you can tell, you know, most of us have seen him from the outside looking in when he was with the Saints. And so him coming in, you can tell that he has a certain way he likes to do things and he does it at a high level and he does it really well. And the practices, the number one thing that I've noticed as opposed to coaches in years past, the practices have been really educational. I mean, he will stop practice and explain why that was good, why that was bad, and explain how that's burned him in a game or has helped him in a game, or he's seen how it's burned somebody else or how it's helped somebody else. And it really just gives you the picture of how important details are and how important details are to winning games. And that's been the most, just in the few months that I've had the chance to you know, be out there on the field and go through OTAs. That's probably been the most eye-opening aspect of a coach. So Sean Payton has talked about that we have to be teachers and we have to be dynamic teachers. And if, you know, everyone in the class is getting a D, you know, maybe you got to look at yourself as the teacher. Have you guys ever had a coach kind of like what Justin Simmons is describing? And if so, did that resonate with you? Getting, getting having it, whoop, just dropped the phone. Having it broken down like that in the middle of practice even. Bill Belichick was a teacher before he was a coach. Um, and I don't mean that like he was a school teacher before he became a coach. He was literally a teacher before coaching. So coaching is teaching. And so all those situational things that Sean Payton's been informing the Broncos on, that's how Bill Belichick did things. Now, rarely was it discussed on the practice field unless it was a very complicated situation. Most of it was discussed in the meeting rooms, why we were doing it, what the purpose of it was, what the goal was, how each 11 guys on the field needed to understand what the situation, what their job was in that situation. So, yes, there's a reason why the best coaches go over those things because those situational football things are literally these critical moments that can either win or lose you football games. So for Sean Payton to take the time to instruct this team where the level of football acumen, the level of football understanding has been lacking for several years now, it's a great move. Yeah. So in the NFL, you know, there's always so much turnover, right? Um, 
the head coach doesn't get it, so we move on, right? Nathaniel Hackett moved on from him after 15 games. Vance Joseph got two seasons. Vic Fangio got three seasons, right? And I think a lot of people don't realize the behind-the-scenes aspect. Just because they are a head coach in the National Football League or they are a position coach in the National Football League doesn't necessarily mean that they deserve that job. Mm. So some coaches get by solely because you do get a first round pick all the way down to a seventh round pick. You do, you are paying these guys millions of dollars. So you'll be able to skate by because you got great players and these are the 1% of athletes that were playing in, at the college level. But when you talk about being a teacher now and getting the absolute best out of these guys, some guys don't know how to do it. I've been in coaching, I've been in, in locker rooms where coaches are saying, yeah, that's not what I'm teaching. I don't know how to tell you to do what I'm teaching, but that's not what I'm teaching. So you need to fix it and do what I'm telling you to teach. Like, it's just like, what? Like, like how do you correct me? How, how do I, do you have a drill for that? Do you right. have a progression to teach me, to get me to do what you're asking me to do? Or are you just going to show me clips of people doing what you think is a great job and say, go out here and do it on the football field? Because it doesn't work like that. With some athletes, it can possibly work like that because people learn like that. But some, some other guys are visual learners, right? Some guys are muscle memory where they got to get a rep and do it. Some guys got to see their self do it up there on the film and then t- turn around and say, oh, I could do that every single time because I see myself. So a lot of these coaches, I mean, when you look at it, doesn't necessarily mean that you could just j- just go out there and roll it out and get it done. I love the aspect of Sean Payton and talking about the details, talking about how it burned him, talking about how he's had success because you talked about the D word out there at Dove du- Valley or whatever we're calling ourselves right now at Broncos facility. Center of health. Center of health, right? And that's this team doesn't it lacks discipline. Well, now when our coach is breaking it down and giving you the ec- educational aspect and talking about the details, this team should be far more disciplined than what we've seen the last couple of years. Was Kyle Shanahan that way, the, the teacher, the educator part, the explaining the context and trying to get guys mentally geared up? Um, not only Kyle Shanahan, I feel like his whole entire coaching staff was like that. Mm. And I think that that's why you see a football team that, that wins, that you know has a winning culture because it's – Top to bottom, whether it's Kyle all the way down to the assistant special teams coach. It's all about the details. It's all, but not only the details, they, they teach you how to, to, to transition and do it the right way instead of just sitting up there saying, yeah, that's not what I'm teaching. You need to do it like this. Uh, remember the film I showed you earlier? It's kind of like how? Like, what, what do you mean? Like, right. correct me, coach. Um, it, it's just crazy in the NFL. You would think that everybody knows what they're doing, and every coach can do these things, but it's really not the case. Well, you mentioned that sometimes there's coaches who aren't qualified who don't belong in that seat, but it's clear that these assistants under Kyle Shanahan, who you just described as having that same approach as teachers, are getting opportunities as head coaches, right? Robert Sala, um, uh, uh, D'Amico Ryans, yeah. uh, Mike McDaniel. Clearly, that's a teaching path, and it starts there. I'm so excited to watch that defense play this year, right? They lost their defensive coordinator. But last year, that that coaching staff lost one of the best running back coaches in, in NFL history. They lost a, one of the best tight end coaches in John Emery. He went to Miami. They lost their pass game, their run game coordinator in Mike McDaniels. He got, became a head coach, right? They lost um, their uh, wide receiver coach in Wes Walker. And yet they were still rolling and in the NFC Championship game. Right? Wow. Shanahan system, it it works. It works. And we'll see if this thing keeps rolling. All right. Uh, Chad, you going to take us off the edge? Yes, I am. Boom, boom, boom. That's next. 
time for things to get a little edgy in the Players Club. Blake is brought down. Is that Chad Brown again? Yes, sir. Chad Brown. Chad Brown. Four and a half sacks today. Here's Chad Brown coming off the edge. All right, fellas. Uh, as we were finishing the last segment, we were talking about the teaching aspect of coaching. Um, and you asked about Kyle Shanahan, Nate. And when I was there for the off season, uh, almost every day during the off season program, Kyle would show a play on video. And in the course of the following video clips that came after that, he would show four or five clips of the practice of that play, the play that we're trying to install during this off-season uh, OTA's experience. And so he would show that play. Then he would show that play being run by the 49ers maybe the year before. Then he would go back to the Broncos running that play. And he would give the entire history of the play and how the play has been modified over the years to deal with how defenses were adjusting to handle this play. So every single day there was a teaching tape of about somewhere between five to seven minutes given the history the success, the defense's response, and then their response to this particular play. So there was a, it was, it couldn't have been a more of a perfect teaching tape. So the thought of Kyle Shanahan and maybe an extension of his staff to get players to understand the history of the play, why we call the play, what situations we call the play from, what are the origins of this play, why did my dad draw this play up to begin with, how do we utilize this play, that gives players context, that gives player understanding. So when that play actually comes to the ball game, you've got a, just a bit more n- nuance to it all, therefore you can execute it perhaps at a higher level. Versus, uh, I've had some coaches who during either on the sideline or during film study will say, you know, hey man, you got to make a play. No, your job is to tell me, to teach me how to make a play. And O talked about that last segment where coaches are just like, oh, you got to figure this out. No, your job is to explain this to me. you got to make that catch. Yes. Thanks, well, Coach. Well, yeah, tell me about my hands, why my hands were wrong, where my eyes were. Give me the details. Teach me this. Just don't give me uh, uh, some platitudes about us. So coaching has always been teaching. And the best coaches I've ever been around are Bill Cower, a Bill McCartney, uh, Bill Belichick. Why is it always a Bill with you, man? Uh, it's, I've, got, I've got a great history with Bills in my life, no doubt about that. Uh, they would take the time to teach you. Uh, Bill Coward would sometimes come down to the linebacker part of practice because he was a former NFL linebacker and literally stand behind you and kind of robot walk you through some things like you're going to step with this foot and then you're going to use this hand. So it was, it was actual step-by-step instruction on the field of teaching. And again, the, the best coaches understand how to reach the players. If you think about all the different learning styles in the NFL locker room, some guys are visual learners. Some guys need to hear about it. Some guys need to watch it on tape. Some guys need to do the walkthrough. Um, so all these different learning styles. I had some teammates who had what I assumed were photographic memories. They could sit in the back of the meeting room, be messing around, you know, have a newspaper in their playbook, read a newspaper. Every once in a while, I'll look up and go, yeah, I got that. And I was like, that's amazing. That's cool that you can learn it that well. For me, I had to go out on the field. I had to screw it up. I had to do the walkthrough. I had to practice it. And then once I watched it on tape the next day, I go, oh, I got that. So it took the 
playbook. It took putting it on the whiteboard. It took me watching it in practice. It took me walking through it. It took me practicing at full speed. It took me blowing it. Then it took me watching it the next morning before I got it. So I needed seven steps to get it. So did you blow it every time? Uh, maybe <laughs> was it always like... Chad, come on! But then, you you know, you figured it out. Like, if it was a new concept, chances are it was going to take me those seven steps to get But once I got it, then I got it. So, yeah. Was I going to make a mistake on Wednesday? For sure. You put that back in practice on Thursday, and we had a chance to watch tape on it on Thursday morning, then that was it. I probably wasn't going to blow it again the entire rest of the season. But it took all that for it to get synced into my brain. So the best coaches also understand within their position room what kind of learner each guy is. What kind of process does it take to get each guy to understand that? For me, you got to get if you want to put something in for me, show it to me in practice, give me some reps cuz then I will have it down. So the best coaches understand. I think Sean Payton uh as Justin Simmons was talking about understands this process in detail um and understands that how players are, can probably properly digest all these things. And it's rare that a great player becomes a great coach because great players, in my opinion, tend to be the coaches who say, hey, man, you just got to go out there and make a play. Mm. Well, that's what you could do because you are a great player. This guy playing next to me, he needs a lot of coaching, coach. Football is an incredibly complicated sport. You know, you can watch, you can be at a game, see a play, and have, and have no idea what happened. Um, it's not enough to just watch the game in person. It's not enough to just watch the game on the broadcast to really understand why things happen in a football play. You really have to break it apart into really 22 different pieces, right? There's 22 players. They all have a very specific job to do. Oftentimes, my specific job is stopping you, Orlando, from doing your specific job. Your specific job, stopping me from doing mine. Hmm. Immovable object meets unstoppable force. Something's got to give. It's the tiny, tiny little things that create the margin of error that lead to victory or defeat. Mike Shanahan always knew that, and that's what he teaches, or that's what he taught to these guys who are finding success as assistant coaches. Why do you think that is that all his assistant coaches have found? so much success in the NFL. Mike Shanahan literally does not have one assistant coach of his who became a head coach with a losing record. Every one of them has won. They're like 23-15 and 15 in the playoffs. They've won two Super Bowls. Even Anthony Lynn, who was fired as a Chargers head coach, has a winning record mm-hmm. as a head coach. When you compare that to Bill Belichick's disciples, one of the, one of the three Bills, they all suck, man. They can't win by themselves, and they all come home to daddy and say, can I get a new cutoff sweatshirt and go back to doing data for you? Why is that? Yeah. Why is that the case? Um, I think that with anything, right, we, we are creatures of habit, right? I think when you go into that Mike Shanahan system, he forces you to be a creature of habit. You see how they prepare. You see how it all comes together. Right, how you win football games, how you go about the off season, right? Uh, do we start up in do we start up in February talking about the new season, or do we start up in March, right? How is it all put together? But each and every day, you're living a certain way, right? I remember just for kind of when I got there in San Francisco a couple of years ago, and just kind of looking at it like, whoa, like this is how they do it, and you know. You know, the first day of after practice and training camp, I'm there hanging out after practice, just on the field, hanging out, talking to the players. But I'm seeing the coaches, like, hightailed it in there, like, walking out fast. I'm watching my father-in-law, like, well, him just walking out fast. I'm like, oh, something's going on, right? So now I just start following these coaching staff, and it's immediately walk in, 
right into the, the, the offensive meeting room, right? Right into the staff meeting where now we're going to watch film. And, and I didn't know that. I didn't realize that until I was in it. But then day two, I knew that, that this was coming. And you become this creature of habit. So how you prepare and all these different things and how you put it together. When you look at Mike Shanahan's system, you know, all these coaches that have been a part of it, when you're looking at the head coach and you see all the success that that head coach has had and you see how that head coach is not afraid to get after his disciples and he will get after them in front of you or he won't pull them aside. It's, you know, and there's no babying going on. Okay, well, now you, you see the model for success. And you, it's proven. So you want to emulate that now, where if it ain't broke, don't fix it type of thing, right? So I think a lot of Mike Shanahan's disciples, they go into a new situation, and that's a lot of the same. If it ain't broken, I'm not going to fix it. I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel now because I'm a head coach. Now, there might be a little wrinkles. Of course, LaFleur and, you know, McVeigh and, and Kyle, they all have a little wrinkle on the, the Shanahan system. But I think as far as the structure, the overall structure, they're all kind of copying it. The operations, it's not just about what your offense is, it's about how you run the show. Uh, Mike told me a, a pretty cool story about when he was the offensive coordinator in San Francisco, George Seifert was the head coach. They were in a meeting, a team meeting, and George Seifert called out Mike in front of the whole team. And he was very critical of Mike in front of the team. And after the team or after the meeting, all the players came up to Mike and they were like, man, screw coach, man, we got your back, we got your back. After uh you know, a, a little bit later, he went to George Seifert, and George Seifert pulled him over. He's like, "Hey, man, sorry, I, sorry, I did that. I just, you know, have to do that every once in a while." And Seifert was like, "Ask Mike, how many of the guys came up to you afterwards?" He said, "Every single one of them. Mm. Every single one of them." George Seifert had had that done to him by Bill Walsh, and learned that that was an effective trick to to help guys understand that anybody can be called out at any time. Even my coaching staff, even my offensive coordinator, and the number one offense in the league can get it from time to time. That just shows you that everybody is being held to the same exact standard. Uh, Justin Simmons holds himself to a very high standard. The defense played well last year. The offense, not so much. He talked about the adversity the defense faced last year, and we'll hear from him next. Denver Sports Station 104.3 The Fan presents The Players Club with Orlando Franklin, Chad Brown, and Nate Jackson. She's simply awesome. Billy O, we missed you, man. It's cool though. I, I hear Billy Ocean. I hear. I heard this song out in the wild recently. I was like, yeah, man. I forget where I was. I forget where they were playing it, but it just yeah, made me made me miss you guys. You know, mm. made me realize that we got something special going here. Two eighty eight, fellas. There's some special eighty eight out there. Oh my oh, goodness. Yeah. DT. Yeah, and DT's not. He's he may be the one that comes to mind first here in Denver, but. There's so many greats who have wore this number. Hall of Fame yeah. greats. Tony Gonzalez. Marvin Harrison. Michael, Michael Irvin. Lynn Swan. Drew Des, Pearson. Des Bryant. Greg Ooh. Olson. Chris Carter. John oh, Mackey. Oh. <laughs> Alan Page. Defensive lineman. I mean, it's just so many greats who have wore this number. It's, it, it has to be one of the all-time NFL numbers. My boy Tony Scheffler. Ooh. Tight end of the Denver Broncos. Okay. Hmm. Dynamic pass catching tight end threat who could stretch the field down. He was, he was a heck of an athlete. He's a he's a coach now in Michigan. He's a uh, 
a girls' high school basketball coach. Nice. He's absolutely Tony. crushing it. I believe it. Yeah. I'm sure he Tony. takes a lot of things he learned from Mike Shanahan. Absolutely. Puts him in practice with his girls' basketball team because great coaching philosophies translate no matter what the sport. And some things he learned from Josh McDaniels on how not to do it. <laughs> we learn by our successes and our failures. Uh, but uh, Billy O, good to hear you. All right, guys, uh, I want to get back into the Justin Simmons audio because he had some, well, we haven't heard much from all the guys at Centura Health all off season. It's anonymous donors. It's, hey, we're going to go about our business and put in the work and let the product speak for itself. I like that approach. I think it's good. It's unusual for us, and so it's going to ruffle some media feathers. Maybe fans won't have the type of access that we're used to having. But if it results to wins on Sunday, who cares? I think everybody will be on board if Sean Payton can find a way to get this team winning. But last year, clearly, the defense was the strength, especially in the front half of the season, and the offense was pretty bad. Um, here is Justin Sim is talking about that dichotomy and the adversity it created. Yeah, no, it's it's no doubt, and I, and you you know Jay, and I, and I, there's viewers that know. Anytime you're in a sport and you know you're preaching brotherhood and and you're all in it, it's all great when you're winning, right? And then right. you hit adversity, and adversity hits. Um, if it's truly a brotherhood, there's going to be there's going to be a little uh, yep. test to see uh, you know how far you guys are really invested into each other. And obviously, we've seen stuff like that. We've seen um, there may be a little outbursts on the sidelines and things like that that you know, popped up throughout the year. Okay. Um, what did you make of those comments, Orlando? Do, is he saying that the brotherhood was tested and strengthened by that or that there were some problems that the brotherhood couldn't fix? I think the brotherhood was tested and strengthened when it comes to the defensive side of the ball. Mm. But uh, when you look at the offense, they're, they're, it's inexcusable. They're, they're obviously, that locker room, I don't care what any player says, that locker room is going to be divided. You, you're looking like 18 points, though? You, you guys can't score 18? Nope. Like, we, 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 like, you lose some of these games and you're looking at across that locker room with the offense. I'm promising you, you don't want to even talk to them. I, I know how it's been in high scoring games for the offense when you're, you know, in the high 30s and the low 40s and the defense just keeps on letting up and you're just like, man, come on, are you kidding me? You can't get a stop. So I, I, I get, you know, we always want to be politically correct and, you know, be for one another. But if the defense is not holding up their end of the bargain, the offensive players are going to be frustrated. And last year, the offense wasn't holding up their end of the bargain at all. So I, I wouldn't be mad at any defensive player being frustrated on that football team. I've been in those locker rooms. I've been on those Steeler teams when we were running 17 to 14. And it's like, come on, y'all. You're giving us no margin for error. Come on. We screw up one play. We lose this game. You guys got to put up more points. And it got to the point in Pittsburgh where there was a little bit of a locker room rift between the offense and the defense. And, you know, Cower had to address that a few times during the course of the season about the team when we're all in this together and how, you know, one side feeds into the other side of the ball and whatever coaching things he tried to say. But in the end, we were just very bottom line. You guys need to score more points. This is insane. Was it, were these, were these pointed conversations talking, or were you talk, who's your quarterback? Neil O'Donnell? Neil O'Donnell. Were you like, Neil, I need you to score more points, or were you like on the other side of the locker room, like, man, the offense screwed things up? Like, what was it like? A little bit more like the latter. It wasn't like direct confrontation in the locker room. Now, my roommate on, on home trips and on the road was John Jackson, our offensive tackle. So John and I would have some conversations about what was, what was happening out there. 
And, you know, his, his point, he'd be like, man, I'm just all visit tackle. I don't, I don't get to score points. Mm. Uh, you can't be mad at me. I'm like, well, you need to get your boys going, man, because this, this margin for error where there is no margin for error, where we're winning 14 to 10, that's not sustainable. We're trying to go, trying to win a championship here, man. And we can't win a championship with four point or three point victories all the time. We need a really good performance from you guys. And part of that was also because the other team always felt like they were in the game. And then me and Kevin Green couldn't put up the sack numbers we wanted. <laughs> a little selfishness in there. Wow, too. and a little smirk. It was all about your numbers, wasn't it? Numbers Check and contracts. On. Numbers and contracts. You, you and your half sacks. Yes. Yeah. Hey, you get uh, 20 half sacks. That's still 10 double digits at the end of the year. Okay, so you are, you've been critical of the Broncos defense last year for not putting their foot on the throat and making the plays at the end to win those close games. So... Could frustration, you know, with with the lack of production on offense, create this sort of letdown on defense where it's just like, here we go again, man. Like a lack of cohesion on the team, a lack of feeling together. Like we're trying to win it for one another, but really just frustrated with the other side. And so you let down at the end of the game. Yeah, I mean, I've gone onto the field after the offense punts and the conversation going onto the field. And maybe there's a TV timeout. And the conversation that extends into that TV timeout is not about what we're about to do on defense, what the opponent's about to run on us. But it's about, can you believe that's the third three and out in a row? Can you believe those dudes can't even get a first down? This is ridiculous, man. And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. We got a job job to do. I don't care about what happened with the offense. We got a job to do, fellas. So you're having those kind of conversations in the huddle before some critical moment in the fourth quarter. That will guarantee you not a good chance for victory. Well, Justin Simmons, Justin Simmons, not Simmons, Justin Simmons said that they did have opportunities to close the game, like you said, and weren't able to do it. We're going to hear that next. Denver Sports Station 104.3 The Van presents The Players Club with Orlando Franklin, Chad Brown, and Nate Jackson. I can't think of getting old. It only makes me want to Okay, Johnny, talk about this band because I know you're going to see him tonight. How's that for sissy music, huh? Yeah. Uh, yeah, Paramore and Ball Arena tonight. Paramore. Ball Arena. Sick, man. What do you, you got your outfit picked out and everything? I mean, probably just what I'm wearing now. I'm not, really? Yeah, I don't you pack like a survival like what's what are you gonna have with you man what are the necessities for a show nothing nothing phone wallet i'm not gonna buy being i'm not gonna be buying beer in the venue i can tell you that much was that because twenty dollars yeah. a beer yeah yeah i gotta work tomorrow so. yeah yeah, 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 yeah responsible right. right yeah um is there gonna be like uh, now this song not particularly intense but is there gonna be like a mosh pit or any kind of no, I don't think so. When you leave the concert, will you consider coming straight here to Bonneville and just laying it down on the couch? It's a good idea because it's it's like literally in between from where I live in Parker to to Ball. I got to be up at an ungodly hour, so mm. um, I might like leave before the encore. Mm. Um, I did look up their set list, and they usually play like a two song uh, encore, so. Maybe I dip out, you know, 10 minutes early and something, just try to maximize the potential for sleep. Well, you're looking for a good time. Are you also looking for love, John? Are you going to be out there, you know, maybe uh, trying to meet someone? Not at this show. Why? I'm bringing a good friend of mine. He just got back from town. Um, they're from out of town, so. Got a wingman. Maybe there's a pair of ladies out there who have your 
So have you? Gotta be up early tomorrow, Nate. Don't stop making excuses already. I am being responsible. You could find love wherever you want it, man. You know where I found love. Shotgun Willis, man. (laughs) Just celebrated my seventh year anniversary this uh, this past Sunday as well. Johnny, if you go into tonight thinking thinking it won't happen, I gotta wake up. I get just let the I moment just don't, happen, dude, man. I, this, it's just not that kind of night. You don't man. want a little action. Just want to go and see a really good band, live show. What a better way to end a night like that, John, than to sleep super sound for two for hours, two hours yeah, before yeah, I have to be up like at three in the morning. Delicious. Um, all right, we're gonna get into this Justin Simmons um, audio in a second, but you raised an interesting idea during the break, Orlando. You're talking about. Former Broncos wide receiver Brandon Marshall, this is his first year of eligibility as a Hall of Famer. He put up some really gaudy numbers. He's actually 16th on the career list in receptions with 970 career catches. Um, you know, there's only 14 guys who've had the 1,000. Your boy Heinz Ward was is there at number 14 with 1,000. He also, as far as receiving yards, Brandon Marshall has 12,000. Where is he? 12,351 receiving yards. He's the only Broncos receiver in the history of this team to have three consecutive 100-catch seasons. Does Brandon Marshall belong in the Hall of Fame, and does Brandon Marshall belong in the Ring of Fame? Oh, Orlando. Wow, Ring of Fame and Hall of Fame. I, I think with the Ring of Fame, what, you have to play like four years or something like that? I think so. He was here for I, four. Was he here yeah. for four? Yeah. Six, I thought, seven, eight, and nine. I thought he was here for three. No, I'm pretty sure. He, he got traded while he was still on that rookie contract. He was here six, seven, eight. I was with him. And then nine, he was here as well with with, uh, with McDaniels. And he put up some numbers that year. Okay. Pretty sure. I'm going to look it up right now. Marshall was benched for the team's final regular season game. This was 2009. So six, seven, eight, nine. He was here for four years. Four years. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I, I would put him in. I mean, you look at what what he did with football teams that there, there wasn't a lot surrounding him, and you knew he was going to get the ball, and yet he came up, came down with it. Yeah, right. So that is inserting your dominance out there. And when you start looking at some of these Hall of Fame guys that are in the Hall of Fame already, and Marshall having some better years, uh, you know, you, you gotta take that into consideration. The only blemish on Brandon Marshall's record is the fact that, what, he's never played in a playoff game or something like that? Yeah, which is wild, man. Yeah, so... That many years. I mean, but they just happen to be on really, really crappy football teams. And when you're on really, really crappy football teams, there's not a lot around you. And yet, he was still able to put up these numbers. So, that's why, for me, he definitely gets the consideration. Yeah, I could see him getting into the Hall of Fame well before he would be in the Broncos' ring of fame. So he's one of those guys. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight different teams he signed contracts for. Uh, no long stays in any of those teams, uh, nor were any of those teams particularly good, as evidenced by the fact he hasn't played in the playoff game uh, when while he was there. So the numbers were there. The Hall of Fame talent was there. Were there suspensions and you know off-the-field kind of stuff, which I think will cloud his... Hall of Fame opportunity? Yeah, certainly. The fact that he played for or, or signed contracts with so many different teams, is that going to affect his, his Hall of Fame opportunity? I think it certainly will. But from a pure talent perspective um, and just from a numbers perspective, receptions, receiving yards, touchdowns, he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Yep. I'm probably not a first ballot guy, but you got to think eventually he'll get in. You know, some. NFL football teams full of big, fast, strong, physically imposing dudes. Every once in a while, a guy shows up and makes you say, oh, that guy's different. 
That guy is physically different. Brandon Marshall was that guy as a receiver. Like every bit of 230, chiseled, zero body fat, 6'5", and could when, when he had that ball in his hands, the yards after the catch with that guy, he turned into a violent runner. You don't want to try to tackle that guy. Um, and so Brandon Marshall was a fantastic player, and uh, he's doing a bit of media now. So um, I am athlete. He started that podcast. A creative fella as well. All right, guys, really quick before we get out of here, I want to put a cap on this Justin Simmons audio conversation. We have talked about how the defense let down in big moments. Here he is talking about the same thing. Truly, and I can tell you this from a defensive standpoint, you know, I can even remember going back to us playing the Baltimore Ravens. We played them in Baltimore, and we lost that game 10-3, to and everyone's first thought is like, oh, there it is again. The defense showed up. Offense couldn't find a way to win the game. But if uh, you go back and watch that game, um, it was uh, it was three uh, three. The Ravens were in a two minute drive to you know to go down the. I'm sorry, it was seven three. The Ravens had a two minute drive to go down the field and um, you know try and score a touchdown to win the game, and they did. And uh, we ended up losing that game ten seven, and uh, not ten three. And so you. And then my immediate thought as a defensive player is like, well, we had that game won, right? This is not an offensive. It's not an offensive problem. You know, we can talk about the X's and O's throughout the rest of the game, but. The game was uh, 7-3. We were winning, and we needed to find a way to close out that game, and unfortunately, um, we did not. And so those are just some of the things I look at from, you know, a defensive standpoint. Like, you're not always going to be able to point the finger, and there may be some times, and of course, the offense is going to fix their stuff, but we need to stay on top of ours, too. And I think that's what um, great teams obviously need to be able to do. <laughs> what do you think, Bill? Oh, man. That, that's why Justin Simmons is the team captain right there. Great job. Um, but let me tell you this. The offense doesn't score more than double digits points. I don't care what you say. They didn't do their job. Those guys are getting paid millions of dollars. Mm. Millions. Uh, you better get an Enzo. Uh, great job, Justin Simmons, not throwing your teammates underneath the bus. Great job putting on the defense. I guess, you know, there's always room for improvement. But if the defense holds a team to 10 points, I, I think everybody on that defense deserves a game ball because you did your job. I don't care when that team scored that last touchdown. Yeah, that was a brutal game. You remember uh, Lamar Jackson was out. Mm-hmm. That was the Tyler Huntley game. Yep. Tyler Huntley, 27 of 32, very efficient, 187 yards and one uh, interception in that game. Russell Wilson went 17 of 22 for 189 yards, zero touchdowns. Latavius Murray, uh, was the leading back there. 17 carries for 47 yards in one of many heartbreaking, just difficult to watch games last year for the Denver Broncos. Do you think now that these guys have known each other for a year, Justin Simmons will feel a little more comfortable going up to Russell Wilson and try to get him going? <laughs> Why you laugh? <laughs> you talked about the, the you guys, you know, putting it to the offense. We got to be better. We got to be better. Right. I mean, how nice can you be? At some point, you got to yell that to your buddy. Let's go. We need you here. We need you to put up some more points, Russ. Okay. Uh, okay. No? Yeah. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. Know, but also at the same time, the offense knows that they're not putting up points, and they got to be walking to the defense saying, our bad, man. We we got you. Thank you, guys. Keep it up. We're gonna we're gonna get there. We're gonna put points on the board. Let's keep it going. Both both sides have to come together in that regard, right? Remember last year during training camp when the defense had a very dominant day and Justin Simmons got in Russell Wilson's face, um, and what a big point of consternation that was, and and you know it was the defense dissing the offense and and all that kind of stuff. Isn't that the formula for Russell though? Isn't that what happened in Seattle? 
It was. Isn't that what Russell needs to be challenged? I, I'll prove you wrong. I've proven many a wrong before. Maybe that is the case. Maybe, maybe the the success from Russell Wilson, you know, part of it was game plan, part of that was Pete Carroll's defense, part of that was Pete Carroll's you know, d- dedication to running the football, but also part of it was that Cliff Averill and Michael Bennett and Earl Thomas and Richard Sherman were not afraid at all to get in Russell Wilson's face or any of the right. offensive players' face and talk trash to them before practice, during practice, and after practice about how much they were going to dominate them. Hey, oh, anybody ever talking smack to Peyton during practice? Um, Tried to. Tried to. Um, there was days where the defense thought that they were getting after Peyton, but Peyton would just then um, use his uh, right arm and take care of business and then, then start talking trash back. Right, I think good football teams, like even great football teams, there needs to be that back and forth. Oh yeah, right. I mean, you talk about athletes. There's so many egos involved in the NFL locker room. We all were alphas, and when one side clearly dominates the other side, you don't you know you don't have a good team. Exactly, you have a good side. Exactly. But when there is that back and forth, that's when you have a good team. And the way you create that is by creating competitive practices where the one side that may be better lifts the other side. By competing every day and kicking their ass. Mm. Just like we did to this show the last two hours, fellas. That was fun. That's it for the Players Club. Stick around. Stokely and Zach, they're next.